Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The one who spoke it all into existence is going to use his creation to display his greatness and his power and to announce his coming to a world that has, for the most part, rejected and rebelled against him. Mention the phrase, end times, and all kinds of questions come up. When will it be? Are we in the last days? What will happen? When it comes to talking about the end times, there is no shortage of questions that people have. But when the Bible talks about end times, is answering those questions really even the point? We are living in the end times now. But in another sense, we have not yet, I believe, seen the end of days. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today, as we continue our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, Pastor Clay is going to get down to the real point of studying prophecy, dealing with the end times and the return of Christ. As I said a moment ago, people have lots of questions when it comes to the end times. But as Pastor Clay is going to explain, answering all of our questions is really not God's agenda. Jesus uses the opportunity to teach about the end times. They did ask. Jesus' teaching on the end times came as a result of his disciples asking him some questions about when the end would be and what would be the signs of the end. As you'll hear today, the disciples may not have gotten all the answers they wanted, but Jesus Jesus' teaching was intended to make a different point. Now here's Pastor Clay. Mark chapter 13, beginning this morning in verse uh, 24. We'll read to the end of the chapter, but I, we won't get that far. In those days, after that tribulation, we've been talking about that some in the earlier verses, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now, Learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away But my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, be 
on the alert. There's a couple of points I want to make from that passage, but really just one point that we'll break down and look at this morning. And it looks like this. The point is not will happen, what will happen, but the one who will appear. The point is not what will happen, but the one who will appear. Now, are you all with me this morning? All right. I, I usually ask that a little ways into it, but I thought I'd, right now, just go ahead. And... That may sound like a, a strange statement to make, considering all that Jesus seems to ha- have to say about what will happen. That may seem like kind of a strange statement to make. His teaching is what is called the Olivet Discourse. Remember, it got that name because Jesus, as he's leaving the temple area, has been there in the temple area. We looked at that back at the beginning of chapter 13. As he's leaving the temple area, one of his disciples makes a comment about the greatness and the grandeur and the splendor of, of the temple itself and the buildings that, that made up part of the temple complex. And Jesus makes a a comment, makes a statement as a result of the comment the disciple made. Jesus makes a comment that that would have been a bombshell to his disciples and, and really to all Jews in general when he basically says to them, Oh, you see these nice you see these nice buildings? I I wouldn't get too attached to them because they're not going to be here. Very long. There's not one stone going to be left standing upon another. And, and so Jesus makes that statement. He, he walks on out of the temple area and out of the, the eastern gate of the, the wall that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. He leaves the temple area and, and I think he probably leaves his disciples speechless. He goes Across the Kidron Valley, he goes over to the Mount of Olives, you're right outside the city of Jerusalem, and he sits down, and Peter, James, John, and Andrew come to him and ask him about this statement that he's just made. And, and this is the way Matthew puts it, Matthew chapter 24. So he says, uh, here's what they say to him, tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the close of the age? Remember, Jesus said, I tell you not what one stone will be left standing upon another. After they get their act together and they get away from the crowd and everything, tell us, when will this be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but the disciples apparently mistakenly believed that the destruction of the temple would take place at the same time as, as the end times come or as what they refer to as the close of the age. You understand what I'm saying? They thought that the temple would be destroyed, that based on what Jesus said, the temple being destroyed must happen at the, at the end of time. It, it didn't. The temple was destroyed in, in 70 AD, a little less than 40 years after Jesus makes this prediction and, and goes back to heaven. And the end times, in a real sense, were still waiting for the end times. So they were mistaken about that. But Jesus uses the opportunity, nonetheless, to teach about, I believe, to teach about the end times. They did ask, after all, when will this happen? And what will be signs for the end of the age and of your coming? So Jesus takes the opportunity to teach about the end times. Now, in some sense, in one sense, we are living in the end times now. In, in some sense, we have been in the end times ever since Jesus went back to heaven. 
For 2,000 years, in a sense, we have been in the end times. For 2,000 years, from, from, from that day to today, followers of Jesus Christ have been looking for his glorious return. There's this passage in the book of Acts, maybe you've read it before, in Acts chapter 1, where uh, Jesus goes back to heaven and the disciples are standing there, you know, be a pretty cool moment, and they're watching him go up into the clouds, and, and the text says that suddenly these two angels show up, standing around next to the disciples. And here's what they say in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Well, because Jesus is going, (laughs) Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Shout. Something. Hey, hey guys, why are you standing here staring up into the sky? He told you he was coming back. He's been telling you he's coming back. He's, he's going to come back in the same way that you have just seen him go. Basically, the disciples are saying, now, let's, let's get on with it. Let's get busy. You've got a job to do. So, in a sense, we have been uh, in those last days. Ever since that day, Jesus went back to heaven. But in another sense, we have not yet, I believe, seen the end times or the end of days. There are some statements that Jesus makes in this Olivet Discourse that, in my opinion, uh, have not yet been fulfilled. Okay? With me? Now, in in all fairness, I should say that that there are uh, some people that believe that uh, that the events that Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse have already taken place. Uh, it's, you know, it's a lot to study, but that's okay. For those of you that are interested, you can do some research into what is called um, preterism or preterism. Uh, the, the preterist view basically is that Everything Jesus predicted in the Olivet Discourse, which is this Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, all tell the, give this account, that all of those events took place in 70 AD. There's, with the fulfillment, with the destruction of the temple, with the scattering of the Jewish people, that fulfilled the Olivet Discourse, and so all of the events have already taken place. That's basically the preterist view. I... Not not only I, other people uh, also hold the conviction that that some of what Jesus said simply has not taken place yet. That while, yes, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., that doesn't necessarily mean that that all of the end times events were fulfilled. For instance, one of the things that we see will, will occur is that Jesus is going to make a grand entrance. He will make a grand entrance. Grand. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Let's look at verse 24 through 26. Watch this. Look at this. I'm reading it again. But after those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven. The powers that are in heaven, the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. That has not yet happened. Now, now think about this. Th- think about this in, 
in comparison to, in contrast to his first coming. The first time he came lowly, in almost complete obscurity. The second time he comes, everyone will see, everyone will know that he has come. The first time he came, he came as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. The second time he comes, he's going to come as the lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation 5, 5. The first time he came, a single star announced his appearance on the earth. The second time he comes, all of the starry hosts, all of the heavenly hosts will be involved in announcing his return. It will be a grand entrance on on par with what you would expect for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I I want you to see uh, throughout scripture how God has been has been telling about this through his prophets for for hundreds, for thousands of years, how he's been he's been telling about this what is sometimes referred to as the day of the Lord. Every one of these verses we're going to look at are referencing what's referred to as the day of the Lord, that time when Jesus Christ himself comes back. Let's look at some of these. Start out in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Look at Isaiah 34, 4. And all the hosts of heaven will wear away and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the tree. Joel chapter 2, verse 10. Before them, the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. Joel 2, 30 and 31. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Joel 3.15, the sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Revelation chapter 6, I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid them themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they said to the mountains and to the rocks fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand can you say awesome awesome the reference to uh, the powers in the heavens being being shaken could be referring to the, uh, the demonic forces in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 6. It could be referring to that, that, that they will be, be shaken from, from, from their place. Or it could just be a reference to uh, the, the setting aside of some of God's natural laws, like, like gravity. But more than anything else, what it's simply saying is that the maker of everything that is, the one who spoke it all into existence, is going to use his creation to display his greatness and his power and to announce his coming to a world that has, for the most part, rejected and rebelled against him. He will make a grand entrance. 
Oh, uh, let's let's say amen. <laughs> listen, listen, this is good stuff, man. If I do say so myself. With scriptures, what Scripture is saying to us is that, that His return is going to be so obvious, so powerful, so great, that no one will be able to miss this fact. I've said that a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. There'll be no mistaking the real Jesus when He shows up. Grand entrance, watch this, and He'll, make a, he'll keep a great promise. He will keep a great promise. Now, watch this. Uh, verses 27 to 31. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now, learn the parable of the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and it puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I think it's pretty clear in the context of of Mark 13 in general, but in this passage that we're dealing with, I think it's pretty clear that the elect that Jesus is talking about here are the Jews, Israel. That the day is coming when God will gather his elect, those, those Jews, and, and, and he will finish the work that he started with them. It's this promise. Listen, it is this promise that God made all the way back to the time of Abraham when he made this, what is referred to as a, an eternal covenant with Abraham and then, and then his descendants on down through the years. But there were other times when the Jews... Uh, Turned their back on God when they wanted to have nothing to do with God, when they rebelled against God, not unlike the way we sometimes act toward God. No amens on that one, but that's still true. But in the end, according to what Jesus says here, he will gather his elect, gather those Jews who have been scattered over the earth. They've run because of the, the abomination of desolation. We talked about that last week or week before last. And they're sc- God, God will gather his elect back together and they will see their Savior. Now, listen to me. You listen to me? A Jewish person is saved in the same way a non-Jewish person is. Okay? Please understand, this is not a special deal for the Jews. God chose them for a special purpose. God had, had special plans for them. But a Jewish person is redeemed the same way that you and I, and any non-Jewish person is redeemed. Through faith in God and the finished work of his son on the cross to redeem us. But God says there is a day coming when, when he, as he gathers uh, those, those Jews together, when they will see their Savior and recognize how wrong they had it. Because the Jews have never recognized Jesus as the Messiah, have they? The, the, if you talk to a, to a Jewish person, they'll say Jesus was a good man, Jesus was a good teacher, Jesus gave some good instructions, but that, that's it, that's the end of it. Jesus was just a good man, he wasn't God, he wasn't the Messiah, he wasn't the Savior. But look at how beautifully uh, the prophet Zechariah puts this. Look at, uh, are we back up? Are we, we got screens up? Look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Watch this. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. 
Zechariah wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. They will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. They will see their Messiah for who he truly is. And they will, in repentance, recognize him as their Savior. And Israel, the the Jews, will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just say something uh, briefly about the the reference to the fig tree. Uh, It it is often uh, mentioned that in Scripture, in the Old Testament, the fig tree is used... Uh, as an, an analogy to the nation of Israel. And, and I, think, I think that's true. And because of that, uh, some people have said, and including myself, that, that this reference to the fig tree where Jesus says, now learn the lesson from the fig tree. When its, when its leaves come out, I'm paraphrasing, but when its leaves come out, you can know that the end is near. He's right at the door. Because Israel is sometimes, or, or fig tree is sometimes used to refer to Israel in the Old Testament... It has been said that when Israel became a nation again in 1948, right? That's, that's not in most of our lifetime, but it, for, but it hasn't been that long. In 1948, the nation of Israel came back into existence. Y'all know that, right? You may not have known the date, but you know that. It, it didn't exist. For two millennia, the nation of Israel ceased to exist, and then, it, and then it became a nation again in 1948. Unprecedented. Never happened before. No country, no no people group has ever ceased to exist for more than, than three or four generations and come back into existence. But Israel did in 1948. Because of this reference to the fig tree, it has been taught that, uh, that when, when Israel became a nation again in 1948, that that's a sign that we are right at the very end of the age, that we're very close to the end. Now, certainly, Israel becoming a nation again is a work of God. I, I don't believe you can say it any other way than, than, a, than a work of God. It is a demonstration of the power of God at work uh, that this nation could come back, back into existence after 2,000 years and God is completing his purposes and his plans. But in fairness to the text, I, I need to say this, that Luke's version of this, Luke says, learn the lesson of the fig tree and all of the trees. That when their leaves come out. So all I'm saying to you is it, it may be that Jesus is simply saying that, that in the same way that you look at a tree and in the springtime it buds out, leaves come out. When you see that, you know, all right, summer's on its way, right? Don't y'all say that? All right, getting ready to head to the beach. Summer's on its way. That Jesus is simply saying that in the same way when you see the trees, in the same way you know summer's coming, when you see these things occurring, you know that the end is near. That we're getting close to the end. And then, and then, Jesus makes a statement that maybe hasn't keep, kept you awake or anything. But men have talked about and debated this statement ever since Jesus made it. When he says, uh, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So the question, come on, you're begging, you're dying to ask this question, right? I can see it on, on y'all's faces. He's like, oh, I've been... The question is, what generation is Jesus talking about? This generation shall not pass away. I hope that thing never comes out of my hand. and Somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Oh, what generation, Jesus, are you talking about? 
Now, uh, preterist, uh, that view I mentioned earlier, preterist believe that he's referring to the generation that was alive when he made that statement. And so, and it was within that generation. Like I said, less than 40 years later, the temple was destroyed. And so uh, their conviction is, is that Jesus is referring to that generation. And when that, and before that generation perished, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The people of Israel were scattered. And that was the fulfillment of the Olivet Discourse. Futurists um, believe and, and take that verse to, to, or many of them do, to say that, well, the generation that was alive when Israel became a nation again in 1948, that that that, na- that generation shall not pass away until all these things come to pass. Now, if they're right, then pack your stuff because we are we are right at the door. Because uh, anybody, I don't know how many, if we got anybody in here. How many people are in here that were born uh, in 1948 or prior to 1948? But but if you're born in 1948, you're getting older. We're all getting old. So, you know what I'm saying? If, if, if they're right, that that's, that's what Jesus, Jesus is referring to, the generation that is alive when, when the fig tree buds out, when Israel comes back to be a nation again, then, then we've got to be right at, at the end and we're, we're close. It is my conviction, and not just mine, other people hold this view as well, that a better understanding of that text comes from the understanding that, that the, word, the Greek word that is translated generation, y'all with me? It's translated generation there in the text. Uh, that that word can also mean, it, it can mean gener- a generation, a, a, a time reference group of people. But it can also mean race, race of people or stock or, or a family of people. And, and it is my conviction, based on what Jesus seems to be saying here, that what he's saying is that this race of people, the Jews, they will not perish They will not perish from the earth until I fulfill my promise. I made this promise thousands of years ago, and I always keep my promises. I believe that's what God's saying. They shall not perish. They shall not be removed from the earth. I will come first. I will gather them together. And then Jesus makes a statement. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. I will keep my promise. Now. Okay, all of that being said, and that's a lot. Would you agree that's a lot? There's a lot of detail in there, right? And I'm not diminishing one iota of what Jesus has to say there. I'm not, I'm not downplaying any of the details that he seems to give about these events that are going to occur, that I believe are future and are going to occur. But having said that, I I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the point that Jesus was making. I think the point that he was making is that he will appear. That you don't have to get caught up so much in what this is going to happen and how this is going to happen and and what's going to go down here. Yes, he has some things to say about it. But it's more about the fact that he will appear. I don't know. I don't know everything that's going to happen. And there is certainly plenty of disagreement about what all will go down in those last days, in those end of times. But this I know, with every ounce of faith and belief that is in me, this I know, that this same Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary, this same Jesus who walked on water and restored sight to the blind, 
and fed multitudes with a handful of food. This same Jesus who willingly laid down his life on the cross for my sins. This same Jesus who refused to stay dead but rose from the grave three days later. This same Jesus that sits right now, right now, this moment at the Father's right hand will get up one day and come down to this earth and gather up his people and put down his enemy and he shall reign forever and ever. That I know with absolute certainty. He will appear. That's the point. Well, Jesus certainly had plenty to say on the subject of end times, didn't he? But as Pastor Clay shared with us today, Jesus' point was not to give them every detail of what would happen, but rather to point them to the one who would appear. Jesus gives an awesome description of his entrance when he returns to earth. What a day it will be when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords returns to establish his kingdom on this earth. It should make all of us who are followers of Jesus look forward to that great and glorious day of the Lord. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I get it as available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Slay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.